Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Read today's teaching text, which centers on the one who we've been singing about, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the point and the source of everything. This is Luke chapter 18. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, and he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And whenever he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And whenever all of the people saw it, they also praised God. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the vineyard. This is a place where lives are transforming all the time because of Jesus. And if if you're new to church today, or maybe someone has invited you along, or you thought you'd just give the vineyard a go this morning... Uh, We hope that you feel welcome, and we hope that you feel at ease. Um, We believe here at the Vineyard that that God is not some angry man up in the sky, looking down, scowling at us, but rather he is standing with his arms open wide, smiling at us, ready to embrace us wherever we are this morning. And if you don't know me, my name's James, I'm the worship pastor here at the Vineyard, and this morning I've been given the wonderful opportunity to begin a new series by revisiting a conversation that we had a few months ago. In February, we looked at four key habits and practices we believe are foundational building blocks if we want to think, live, and do life the way Jesus did. And these four building blocks we unpacked were the the importance of scripture in our lives, um, why do we worship, how do we love people, and the purpose of prayer in our lives. And over the next four weeks, we want to revisit those four principles in that series that we called Basics. So we've decided to call this series, wait for it, Back to Basics. See what we did there? I know, very clever. Anyway, we're going to start today um, off by revisiting a conversation that Stu had with us around prayer. And Stu did a fantastic job at explaining to us one of the roles that prayer plays in our lives is to lead us into a deeper relationship with God. That prayer is one of the primary vehicles that, that we get to use to communicate with God, but also to commune with God. It's about intimacy, it's about friendship, and it leads us to knowing more about God, and it leads us to being known by God. And today I want to use that as a a foundation, but I want to take that one step further by looking at what prayer means for us individually and for those around us. You see, prayer is 100% 
It's 100% there for a relationship, but it's also the primary means and way that we get to partner with God in seeing his kingdom come. Our prayer life doesn't just affect us and our situations, but it affects everything around us. Prayer is one of the main ways we get to partner with him in the process of redeeming and restoring and making all things new. And you see, the truth and the reality of the Christian life is that we are not running off all cylinders without prayer in our life. But what do we really mean by prayer? Well, I went to Laurel Hill uh, for secondary school. Did anybody else go to Laurel Hill here? Come on, Valerie, I did not know that. Brilliant, two, three, come on. Raise your hand if you went to Laurel Hill. Oh, brilliant, a few more, okay. Last service was just me and Chris. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed it. And uh, as uh, I was going to Laurel Hill, I had this friend called Jazza. Now, don't ask me why, why we call him Jazza, but that's just kind of his name. That's what we call him. Anyway, so while I was going to Laurel Hill, um, my friend Jazza and me, we had loads of conversations around faith. And he was kind of around the fringes of trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus and, and all of those sorts of things. And from time to time, I would get opportunities to pray for him. And it was amazing to see the grace of God move in his life and for um, some, some of those situations that were on his heart uh, for him to experience uh, God move. But um, this one Monday, Jazza came in. And he came into me really excited. He's like, James, James, you'll never guess what. And I was like, what, Jazzy? He's like, you see that prayer thing you use with me? Yeah, 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 Jazzy. Well, I tried it at the weekend, to which I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this could be really exciting. You know, maybe he's like prayed for somebody else, or maybe he's prayed and decided to follow Jesus. Anyway, he continued, James, yeah, well... I was out on Friday, we were out on Friday, and um, I was down the Boucher Road, and I got a couple of things, but as we were driving around to try and find a parking space, I couldn't find a parking space, so I, I decided to pray, and bingo, there was a parking space free straight after I prayed, isn't that amazing? I was like, wow, Jazza, that's, that's great. Um, not quite what I was hoping for, um, but Jazza continued, and he said, well, do you know what was really weird? On the Saturday, we went back, back down to the Boucher Road. There was a couple of things I got, and I wanted to return one of them. And as we were driving around, same thing, couldn't find a parking space. And we just decided to drive on into town. Um, but you know the weird thing? Like, James, when I prayed on the Friday, I got a parking space. But on the Saturday, I didn't. Doesn't that seem a bit weird? To which I responded, yeah, Jazz, it seems like a bit of a coincidence, doesn't it? But you know, this story has always stuck with me. You see, prayer means many things to many people, but in its simplest form, it means asking God for help. For Jazza, that meant asking help to find a car parking space, but for most of us this morning, we're asking help, we're asking for help with something different. The word pray comes from the Latin word precari, which means to earnestly, to entreat, and to request. And if you've been around church for a while, you'll have heard us use two fancy words when we talk about prayer. One of them's petition and the other is intercession. And here's what they mean in simple form. Petition is when we pray for ourselves, for God's kingdom to come. And intercession is when we're praying on the behalf of others. So hopefully that will help you this morning as I kind of lean on those words as we have a conversation this morning. So 
Petition, that's when we pray for help for ourselves. And intercession, that is when we pray for the help of others. If you spent any time reading the scriptures or you used to go to Sunday school, you'll know that prayer is a pretty big deal in the Bible. We hear stories of prayer shutting the mouth of lions. We hear stories of prayer turning what was only enough bread for a couple of people into bread for thousands. We hear stories of prayer healing people, and we hear stories of prayer even raising people from the dead. There's over a thousand references to prayer in the scriptures, which means we can't afford not to pay attention to the thread and the connection that is woven the whole way through the narrative of the scriptures and also in the history of the church where when humanity asks God for help, no matter how small, no matter how big, God hears and God responds. So today I want to give you three invitations and application points from the life of Jesus of how he prayed with commitment, how he prayed with compassion, and how he contended to see the kingdom of God come all around him. But before we do, let's take a look at the elephant in the room. What about prayers that go unanswered? I'm sure we can all relate to this. Um, So let's have a look. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. Never stop praying, especially for others. Always pray by the power of the Spirit. Stay alert and keep praying for God's people. In this scripture, we see one of the key principles to prayer, which is persistence. For all of us who have prayed, I'm sure we will have all experienced varying degrees of answered prayer an unanswered prayer. And I don't have all the answers or the time this morning to unpack this area of prayer fully, but I do know that what we see in Scripture is that we are called to be faithful. We're called to never stop asking God for help, regardless of outcome. You see, faith is God's gift to us, and our gift to him is our faithfulness. And it's impossible for us to grow in faith without growing in faithfulness. And it's impossible for us to grow in faithfulness if all our prayers were answered right away. This is not a cop-out answer, but when we do experience delays, disappointments, and discouragements, God is inviting us to be the kind of people that won't give up, won't back down, refuse to stop asking. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says, Always pray, and what? Never give up. We could go further and unpack some more of why prayers go unanswered, but let me move on with this. In the vineyard here, we have room in our theology for the tension of pain and breakthrough, for the tension of darkness and light, for the tension of answered prayers and unanswered prayers, and in the midst of all of that, for God to still be God. This is called the tension of the kingdom. And Andy touched on this a wee bit last week, but that the kingdom of God in its simplest form is the place where what God wants happens. And until Jesus comes back again, we live in this tension where the kingdom is both here and it's at hand, but it's not fully here until we reach the end of our story in Revelation 21, 22, where Jesus, where God will move back in among his people and dwell among us. 
and there will be no more tears, there will be no more death, there will be no mourning. God will be with us. But until then, we are called to keep on praying for the kingdom of God to come. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 7, 7, when he said this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Sounds too good to be true, right? Just ask, just knock, and it will happen. Well, in the original Greek language, that scripture was written in a present active tense, which which reads slightly different, and it reads like this. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. This is the invitation, folks, to us all. Even when we don't get what we're contending for, even when we don't see what our hearts are longing for, that we will never stop praying. Here at the Vineyard, we want this to be a kind of community that prays with no sign of answer instead of not praying at all and forfeiting seeing God move in miraculous ways. The one prayer that we know will always be answered, though, is the closeness and the nearness of his presence. The prayer, this prayer has already been answered and helps us in the middle of uncertainty and confusion. As we contend to see the kingdom come, as we contend to see light break into dark situations, we know that his promise is his presence. So before we move on this morning, why don't we pray and then we'll jump straight back in. Why don't you close your eyes? Father God, we thank you this morning that your promise is your presence, God. No matter where we find ourselves this morning, God, no matter where we're at with prayer, no matter how active and alive prayer is in our lives, God, we know, God, that your promise is your presence and you're so close and that you're so near to us. And God, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, God, to um, hear from you this morning, God, that you would begin to help us take a journey in moving into a greater life of prayer in our lives, God. So God, would your presence be with us, we pray. In your name, amen. So, as I said for the rest of this morning, we're going to look at prayer, the prayer life of Jesus and looking at how he lived a life of prayer. So if you're taking notes today, my first point is this. We have to commit to it. We need to commit to living a life of prayer. When we look at the prayer life of Jesus, we see that he was committed to seeking the Father. We see through the Gospels time and time again where the disciples would be waking up, they'd be wiping off sleep from their eyes, Uh, one of them would be going to fix some breakfast, sadly no filter coffee or no bacon buddies, a life without bacon, how did they do it? Anyway, um, but when they woke up, Jesus, there was no sign of Jesus. Where was Jesus? He was a way to pray in private. He was the way to seek the Father, which for him would have normally have been on the Mount of Olives. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was one of the patterns of prayer Jesus had in his life. He had a time, which for him was early morning, and he had a place, which was the Mount of Olives. Now, 
I know what you're thinking. That's all good and well for Jesus, James. He didn't have three crazy kids running around demanding their breakfast in the morning. And listen, I hear you. Hannah and I have stayed with some of our friends' houses, uh, some of our friends' houses, and experienced that moment when your lovely, quiet, sleeping babies wake up and turn into little monsters and demand your attention and make as much noise as they possibly can. So can I just say this morning, well done. Well done for making it through this morning, another morning, and being here. We applaud you. We see you. But what I'm trying to say is please don't leave your kids in the morning for them to fend for themselves while you go up a nearby mountain to pray. I just knew I had to say that because I knew some of you were thinking that but figure out a pattern that works for you it may not be the morning it may not be on a mountaintop but whatever time and place you choose to pray in your life commit to that pattern commit to that pattern because patterns are so so important many of you will know that psychologists and anthropologists have theories on the idea of how long it takes to develop a habit And according to some of the research and reports being done today, some people think it's around 21 days, which for me, I think is a myth. But as I was reading this week, um, some people would say that it takes up to two to three months, which is probably more accurate. Um, So, (coughs) sorry. Um, So for example, if you're trying to get in to go into the gym, okay? Now, speaking from experience, okay? If you're trying to get in to go into the gym, the best thing to do is to commit to it for two to three months. And if you can stay on that pattern and that time frame, it will eventually seem abnormal if you don't operate in that new habit that's been established. Now, we all know, speaking from experience, that the bad habits are far easier to create than good ones. And in order for us to create a strong, healthy habit and pattern of prayer in our life, it will require discipline from us. Discipline is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. So if we want to commit to living a life of prayer, we must form patterns. And to form patterns we've seen from the life of Jesus that it's really helpful to pick a time and a place that will help us hopefully uh, create a daily pattern in our lives. But the underpinning truth and the non-negotiable in all of this is that we must exercise the spiritual muscle of discipline. What if we all committed to forming a habit and a pattern of prayer in our lives daily in such a way that when we didn't pray, it would seem abnormal to us? So let's pick a time, folks. Let's pick a place. Let's set an alarm or a reminder on our phone and commit to praying the Father in private. Now, extroverts in the room are currently freaking out. I know the idea of praying in a private place and being alone for a long period of time is maybe not your thing. But don't worry. Jesus also modeled an important aspect of prayer, which was in the public gathering. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says this. He, which was Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom to pray. Here we can see Jesus going to pray in a public gathering, as was his custom. And we don't have time today to look at all the different examples that are recorded in the scripture. 
of Jesus going to pray in a public place. But one of the days that Jesus did go to pray in that public place, which was his custom to do, he said this, that my house, this space where we are today, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus here was placing value upon creating a sacred space for corporate prayer to take place. He had a rhythm and a commitment to praying and seeking the Father also in public. And we here at Lagan Valley Vineyard always want to create these kinds of sacred spaces where we can gather together to both pray with each other and for each other. And if you've been around us for a while, you'll have heard us talk about Jericho Nights. And Jericho Nights are our corporate expression of prayer once a month on the first Sunday of every month. And if you haven't been to one of these nights, I couldn't uh, encourage you enough to come along. In fact, why don't you come along tonight? You would have thought I'd scripted that. Can you throw the graphic up? Brilliant. Well, tonight we are gathering not only with our Lagan Valley Vineyard family, but with the rest of the Irish Vineyard family here in this space at 7 p.m. And we will be praying for our churches, we'll be praying for our cities, and we'll be praying for the nations and, and many other things. But you know, sometimes I think we can stop ourselves from going to these types of things for the fear of maybe having to do something that we feel uncomfortable doing, maybe praying out loud, or maybe we feel it's just a wee bit out there and a wee bit weird for us. But can I dare you to come tonight? If you feel like your prayer life has come dry and a bit stale, these nights are fantastic nights to come and throw some fuel on the fire of your prayer life. Seeing other people around you Praying passionately, I promise you, will ignite something in your very soul for praying um, again. Nobody will push you into doing something that you don't want to do, but it is an amazing space and opportunity for you to learn where you can just stand alongside people, watch how other people pray, and learn from them. So come along tonight and watch what happens in your prayer life as you join in here at the Vineyard with our corporate expression of prayer. Charles Spurgeon, a great founder of the church in the 18th century, said this, As the prayer meeting goes, so goes the church. He also said that that when God is getting ready and looking to do something great in humanity, he always starts with a group of praying people. Biblical and church history both prove whenever God is going to move in a city and a nation, he calls a group of people to raise the bar on their commitment to prayer. And we've seen it take place before in this land. A small prayer meeting in Kells that started off with about four people led the thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Church balconies were bent because too many people were cramming in to see what God was doing and saying. Ministers couldn't get to the front to to preach the gospel because um, the church buildings were so crammed that they would have to actually jump in one of the side windows and crowd surf to the front to communicate. How did this all happen? Because a few people decided to pray and invite the kingdom of God to come and awaken hearts to his love. I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what that would look like in Lisbon. I wonder what God would do if we, as Lagan Valley Vineyard, decided to commit to praying both privately and publicly, inviting his kingdom to come and flood and touch every person and part of the Lagan Valley area. 
just think about that for a moment. All right. We better keep moving on. Next point. James, James, James had compassion. Jesus had compassion. <laughs> Same thing. What? <laughs> Jesus had compassion when he prayed. Uh, I wonder, I was getting dodgy there. She was like, uh, I wonder, have you ever uh, been in the position where uh, you've seen a certain situation and instantly you feel your heart breaking and you want to just do something, anything that you possibly can to help? I think there's a strong connection between that feeling of compassion and also how that affects our prayers. I think there's something in feeling our prayers. But if you're like me and you only prayed when you felt like it, your prayer life probably wouldn't be that vibrant, right? And like we've looked at this morning, we need that muscle of discipline. However, in my experience of effective prayer, it comes from a place of compassion. And in the life of Jesus, we see him praying for people from a place of personal connection. Jesus, time and time again, throughout the Gospels, was approached by people who needed his help. The sick, the demonized, the lepers would come and bow before him. And it says time and time again that Jesus was moved by compassion. Here's an example in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Jesus, moved with compassion, reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. So here's my thought. I think what we can see from the prayer life of Jesus, but also from my experience of prayer, prayer works differently when we pray from a place of compassion and feeling our prayers. So let me ask you this today. What moves you? What moves you to a place of compassion? Maybe when you hear about human trafficking, there's something that takes place in your heart. Maybe when you see people that aren't well, you're overcome with compassion and you want to help. Maybe it's when you see a child without a mom or with a dad, something takes place in your heart. The fact is, all these things touch the very heart of God. But I wonder what would happen if we began to pray for the things that stirred our hearts with compassion. I believe if we did, we would start to um, see our prayer life become more effective. And I saw this uh, around this time last year and experienced this and watched this from somebody else whenever I led a team over to Ibiza last year to partner with the work of 24-7 prayer. And when we were out there, um, most of our work was done on the San Antonio main strip, which was made up of bars and clubs and um, all interesting places like that. And uh, we would uh, go out every night from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. And the team would be split in half. So one team would be out in the streets, chatting, helping, praying for people. And the other half of the team would be in the prayer room, praying and interceding for people. And I don't think anything could have set us up for what we would experience, for what we would see. And I'm sure some of the team would agree for some of the smells that we smelt while we were there. Um, but this one night, uh, Lauren Jackson, who most of you will know is from our community, Lauren and I went down on the streets together. And we noticed this guy who was lying on the ground, um, nobody, no sign of help. 
his eyes roll back in his head and covered in vomit. Now, normally, I'm the sort of guy that when I see or smell or even hear anybody just about to be sick, I have to run the opposite way and cover my nose. But in that moment, I seen this guy with no sign of help, and my heart broke for him. My heart broke for him. So we began to move towards him, and as we got there, we helped him up onto a bench. And we must have spent about over an hour with him, and honestly, to be honest with you, my compassion was quickly disappearing. And uh, Lauren, Lauren was praying her best prayer. She was praying that his eyes would open, that his mouth would speak, and that he would tell us where he was staying so we could get him home nice and safe. Um, but by this point, I'd kind of like, as I said, kind of compassion levels were disappearing. So I decided a different approach. I would take the ball of water that I had in my hand and I would baptize him with it. Nothing took place after that either. Anyway... We, we soon realized that he had his phone in his pocket and we somehow managed to get his phone out of his pocket and we thought this was amazing, you know, because if we get his phone, we'll figure out where his friends are and maybe they'll help him get him back or we'll figure out where he's staying. Anyway, after that, we soon realized we needed the password to the phone, right? So I sat down, head was in my hands and in that moment, I began to hear this little voice. God, Please give us the password to the phone. God, if we get the password to the phone, we can find out where his friends are. God, if we get the password to the phone, we can find out where he's staying. Please, Lord, give us the password to the phone. Amen. And I looked up and Lauren was praying this prayer, right? So I stood up beside her and uh, straight away she got the phone and she went boom, 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 boom and got the password to the phone straight away, which is pretty cool, right? Uh, Anyway, long story short, we got the guy home And we met him later on in the week, and he was super thankful for what we did for him. You know, this is just one story of of many that took place when we were in Ibiza. But the point I want to make is this, that when you're connected to a situation, when it's right in front of your very eyes, and your heart is breaking with compassion, I believe our prayers become more effective. This is not a formula for seeing all your prayers answered, but definitely we see this pattern in the life of Jesus, where prayers that were prayed from a heart of compassion, breakthrough happen, where prayers that were prayed from a, a heart of compassion, healing took place. And I'm sure if there was blocked mobile phones back then, passwords would also follow as well. So again, let me ask you this, what moves you? What stirs your heart with compassion when you hear about or think about a certain situation or person? I want to challenge you all. I want to invite you all into a daily pattern of praying um, as of this Sunday to take three minutes to pray for whatever that thing is that breaks your heart whatever that situation or whoever that person is that that your heart just longs to see God help. You know, I tried this this week and uh, I tried the whole three-minute thing and the first minute I was off the flying start. I was praying this amazing prayer. Second minute, began to repeat myself. And third minute, I ran out of things to say. And uh, But as I moved through the week, some of my three-minute prayers turned into five-minute prayers. And sometimes those five-minute prayers turn into ten-minute prayers. So please, as you start this this week, as you decide to pray daily in your life, go easy on yourself. But pay.
pay attention to what's happening in your heart. And not only that, pay attention to what happens to that person or that situation as you pray for them with compassion. All right. Turn to your neighbor and make sure they're still awake and tell him James is on to his last point. (laughs) All right. That's enough. (laughs) So if we want to live a life of prayer like Jesus, we have to commit to it. We have to, oh, we need to pray from a place of compassion. And finally, we need to contend for the kingdom everywhere we go. And if we look at the life of Jesus, we don't know much um, about the first 30 years of his life. But once he started his ministry on the earth at the age of 30, we see him walking everywhere as he did. And as he walked on different trips and journeys, he would have encountered and connected with people. And as he connected with people, he saw their need, and he was moved with compassion, and he would have prayed then for the kingdom to come, and miracles and signs and wonders would have taken place. Um, so if you can see, guys, would you throw the, the wee map up? This looks like I kind of drew it myself. It's terrible, isn't it? But anyway, uh, hopefully it gives you a bit of an idea of where Jesus would have traveled around when he was ministering to people. And some of these trips that Jesus would have taken might have been 10 miles. Uh, Stop laughing at my... (laughs) Uh, Some of these journeys would have taken around, uh, been up to maybe 70 miles. And if they had been traveling by foot, which they would have been, that would have taken up maybe the five or six days. But the main journey I want to look at and spend the next few minutes before we end today, as I want to look at one of Jesus' journeys in the book of Luke. And it's in chapter 18, verse 35. It was the scripture that Stu read earlier on today. So if you want to open your Bibles up and jump with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 35. So Luke 18, 35 says this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God as well. At the beginning of this text, we see Jesus was on his way to Jericho. And from where he was coming from, that would have been around a 30-mile trip. But as he was approaching Jericho, he met a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And in verse 38, we read, Once Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was around, once Bartimaeus knew Jesus was in the vicinity, he began to cry out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And as he did, the crowds tried to get him to be quiet. They tried to silence him. But this did not stop him. It says that he shouted all the more. And in hearing the commotion, Jesus asked for Bartimaeus to be brought to him. And as he arrives in front of Jesus, he asked him the surprising question, what do you want me to do for you? 
Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And I can imagine in this moment Bartimaeus letting out a gasp of exasperation to the fact that surely Jesus would have known. Surely Jesus would have known what was wrong with him. Like every single man, woman, and child that, that had walked past, like they could have t- been able to tell Jesus what was wrong with him. What was going on here? Something doesn't seem right. Well, finally, Bartimaeus answers Jesus' question. I want to see. I want to see Jesus. And so Jesus healed him. People often ask, why do we need to pray? Why, do, why bother? Doesn't God already know our needs? Can't he be trusted to do the right thing regardless? Why on earth do we have to ask? But you see, the story of Bartimaeus reveals that it's not enough to sit silently in the crowd wishing for a miracle to take place. Jesus is crying of us, what do you want me to do? He's asking us to ask. He's inviting us to articulate our needs, wants and longings. You see, there are wonderful things uh, waiting to happen if only we would ask for them. We need to step in the gap of silence and put words to our longings as we contend to see the kingdom of God come. See, God has designed his kingdom to advance not by using us as puppets, but rather partners. We need to be active participants contending to see um, God's kingdom come into every place that we walk, into every space that we occupy through prayer. Richard Foster, one of my favorites on prayer, puts it like this. And as I read this, why don't the the band make their way up? Richard Foster said this. We are not locked into a preset deterministic future, but rather ours is an open, not a closed universe. We are co-laborers with God, working with God to determine the outcome of events through prayer. Our prayers matter. And whether we are comfortable or not with that responsibility, they carry the power to shift and shape the people around us and this place that we call home. Folks, we're... We're out of time this morning, but why don't you stand with me this morning? It wouldn't be us if we didn't create a space for you to respond this morning. And as I as I was praying this morning, um, I felt like there was two groups of people here that the Lord wanted to speak to. And for some of you this morning, uh, as I was sharing about living a life of prayer, there was a certain degree of shame and guilt that you felt. And that's maybe because prayer isn't something that's all that active and alive in your hearts. And I feel like God wants you to know this morning that even though that may be the case, that he's saying to you this morning, let's pick up the conversation where we left off. And you know, the beautiful thing is there's nothing you have to do to earn um, the right for God to listen to you, that his grace is sufficient and he's ready to meet you where you are. He wants to hear your honesty. He wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear you daily to daily commune with him in a pattern of prayer.
So if that's you this morning and prayer isn't something that's been all that active in your life, but you want to step back into it, but you feel like guilt and shame is stopping you from doing that, I feel like the Lord wants to lift that up off you this morning and invite you back into intimacy with him this morning. I also feel like there's some of us here this morning that uh, the whole idea of contending through prayer to see God's kingdom come, that's something that we have we've tried time and time again and it's something we've maybe set down and parked there's been a a a specific prayer a specific situation that some of us have been praying for and we haven't seen the breakthrough that our hearts have been longing for we're experiencing that tension of the kingdom where we're praying prayers but we're living in the tension of there being no answer And I feel like what the Lord wants to do this morning is to remind you that in the midst of that, his promise is his presence. He's with you. He hasn't left you. Um, But he's inviting you to contend again. He's inviting you to, to live a life and be a person that prays not for outcome, but because of obedience. That you would be a person that would keep on knocking. That you would be a person that would keep on asking for the kingdom of God to come and break into that situation or scenario that breaks your heart. So if that's you this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to worship. And as we worship, we're going to sing a song that's kind of wrapped around this idea of contending for breakthrough. And I want to invite you this morning, I know, I know, I know, I know that sometimes these things can be difficult they can be painful Um, it can feel like sometimes God has let us down but he wants to invite you to step in again and contend to see breakthrough this morning he wants to give you faith he wants to see courage rise in your heart again he wants to heal those wounds that you've been holding he wants to introduce a whole new level of hope in your life so why don't you close your eyes I'm going to pray and then the guys are going to lead us in a song. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're so gentle with us, that you don't enforce yourself upon us. But God, I pray that today for some of us who um, have felt like prayer hasn't been all that active and alive in our lives, God, I pray that this morning would be the morning where we pick up the conversation with you where we last left off, God. That you would lift guilt and shame off of our shoulders, God. And that you would invite us back in through your grace into conversation with you again, God. And God, I pray for others of us this morning, God, who have been longing to see breakthrough come in this situation and this scenario, God. May faith arise in our hearts, God. May you heal the wounds of our hearts, God. God, would you remind us that our prayers don't just bounce off the ceiling that is above us, God, but they touch your very heart, God. Would you remind us of that this morning, God? That your kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is breaking in all around us. If only we would contend for it. So Lord, would you come, God? Would you come and awaken our hearts, God? Help us put words to the longings in our hearts, God. Let's worship.